Hosea chapter 8. As you're turning there, I just want to mention to you, thank you for your prayers. I was uh, uh, teaching this past week uh, at Maranatha Fellowship in Bellevue, Omaha, uh, Bellevue, uh, Nebraska, which is just outside of Omaha. And uh, I've been to this conference and spoken there the last four years or so. Uh, but, but I have to tell you that this, this past conference was, was such a blessing uh, in that uh, there were a lot of people that came. It's a very small church, but uh, they, they opened their doors to a number of the smaller churches and smaller Calvary chapels in the Midwest, upper Midwest, from Minnesota to Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, uh, and a few other uh, uh, places uh, they, they came, and uh, there was a, a tremendous moving of the Holy Spirit there that uh, is, is wonderful to see, but I, I mentioned that because the, the greater movement of the Spirit seemed to be upon the young people that came. We had a lot of teenagers that were there that loved Jesus with all their heart. They, I mean, there, there's no, uh, there, there was no uh, uh, superficial anything about them. They sat in the front row with their Bibles open, with their notebooks on their laps. They, they, they praised the Lord. They wept. They came up for prayer. Uh, some of them received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and others uh, were, were just excited. They, one, of, one of the groups from Minnesota, or I should say uh, uh, North Dakota, actually came and, uh, and led worship one of the sessions. And, uh, you know, here are these young people just loving the Lord and, and just encouraging my heart. I know the hearts of all the people that were there. And uh, this is what we need to pray for. In the church today is a true, true revival of young people to come and love the Lord Jesus Christ like they were doing. Because they not only love Jesus, they love the Word of God. You know, it's one thing to love Jesus and tell him, okay, we're going to teach you and get you into this kind of worship and that kind of worship and this kind of activity and that kind of activity. But when it comes down to just being in God's word, it was tremendous. And some of them, in the midst of our afterglow, we had an afterglow on Friday night. I played the, uh, I, I did most of the music for that. It, was, it went, and I'm not kidding you, I sat at the piano, I think for about an hour and 15 minutes, just straight worship just straight playing and, and people, you know, we'd stop. And some of these kids would come up and just give a word from the, from the, uh, from the word of God. They would just read it. It was something that, that affected all of our hearts. We need to see that more and more in the church today, especially from our young people. You might say, well, they come from rural places. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That revival can spread. There were, there were kids there from, from Minnesota, from uh, Minneapolis, from St. Paul. Uh, so those are, those are uh, big cities. I mean, those, those are cities where, you know, you can hide. They didn't hide. And they don't hide. They love Jesus. So I just want to share that with you. Um, I thank God for Pastor Steve Johnson, who's the pastor there in Omaha, because he you know, he, again, he has a small church, but he has such a big heart for bringing people to Christ and bringing revival to that area of, of our country. And uh, he has affected and touched many, many 
churches that way. So I, 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 he's a dear brother. I've known him for the better part of 33 years. We started our ministries about the same time, and we've just always stayed in touch, and uh, we've, uh, we've worked together for, for many years. So uh, this is what I do when I leave. <laughs> I don't party except in the Lord, you know, that kind of thing. All right, so you'll understand. And it's great. It was great. I, I spoke three times. I was only supposed to speak once. I, I spoke speak three times. One, once because, I believe it was because uh, Pastor Boff from Las Cruces was supposed to go, but of course he's been recovering from pneumonia, and uh, so he, he's still home. And um, I think there was one other, but uh, in any event, uh, uh, they put me to work. <laughs> so there was no vacation on this, uh, on this trip. But there was the joy of the Lord. And I got to tell you, it was a blessing to me. Hosea chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here in this passage. We studied verses 1 through 3 last time, but I'll, I'll read that to begin our study down to verse 7. It says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. The warning has gone out to the northern kingdom of, of Israel. Judgment is coming, and it's coming from the north through Assyria or by the, the Assyrian army as the eagle coming against the house of the Lord because they sinned against God's covenant and trespassed against his law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? How long will it be till they come back and be cleansed and be made pure? For from Israel was it also, the workmen made it. Therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It has no stock, the bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. So the Lord's indictment then of the northern kingdom of Israel began actually back in chapter 7. If we are considering this as, as some kind of a setting, like a trial setting, then that is what chapters 7 and 8 are. It is the uh, giving forth of the indictment, it is the proclamation of Israel's moral depravity due to her idolatry, that it was mixed with polluted paganism of the surrounding heathen nations. And moving into chapter 8, the judgment for said depravity is announced upon her apostasy, her falling away from the truth, her falling away from the true and living God. And the punishment to come upon Israel would be through the Assyrian army invading their country. Now, last time I gave three of five reasons for this punishment. The first reason was found in verse 1. The people had broken their covenant with God. 
and they rebelled against his law. The second reason is found in verse 2. The fact that the people had made a false profession. What was the profession? What did the people say? My God, we know thee. They didn't know God. You know, time and time again, we hear people, you know, say that they love God. But if they, if they say they love God, but they don't follow his rule and, 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 and his word and believe in it and believe in what Christ has done on their behalf, they don't love God at all. They said, my God, we know thee. They don't know God at all. You know that whole song, to know him is to love him. You know, that's, that's the thing. If you want to know him, you got to love him. And if you want to love him, you got to know him. But they didn't. Third reason for, their, for, the, for their, pun, their punishment was that the people had rejected what was good. Verse 3. That is, they, tru- they rejected truly seeking and believing in the Lord. Why? Because that's good. It's good to seek the Lord. It's good to believe in the Lord. That is a good thing that the Bible says we should do. And then, you know, the Lord is the only true and living God, so that's an even better reason. And another good thing to do was, is doing deeds of righteousness in a spirit of justice and mercy and humility. But they didn't do what was good. They rejected the good. On that point, we, need, we ended last time with these two verses. Micah 6, verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? He has showed thee what is good. That is what is good. To do just things. To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. But they weren't doing any of those things. Amos chapter 5, we also quoted from this, verses 14 and 15, where it says very clearly, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Then he says, hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. The remnant of Joseph, of course, includes who? Includes Ephraim, which is, the, is one of the names of the northern kingdom of Israel. And yet they didn't do good. They didn't seek good. They didn't love the good. They, hate, they, they didn't hate the evil. They did the evil. They liked the evil. They loved the evil. But they did not love the good. The fourth reason for this punishment is due to the people having chosen leaders without seeking the Lord for guidance, for his will or for his consent. And that comes in, in verse 4 now of Hosea chapter 8. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. Let's deal with the first part of that verse. The people had chosen their leaders based on their charisma and their promises. By the way, don't forget that the northern kingdom of Israel had leaders that had no connection whatsoever to the royal line of David. And I'll talk about Jeroboam the first in just a minute because he was the first king of the northern kingdom. We'll talk about that in a minute, a little different with him. But all the rest of the kings, and if you remember not too many weeks ago, we talked about the kings that were assassinated 
because they didn't like the king or, or, or there was some kind of political intrigue going on. Well, they just got rid of one and put another woman in his place. But again, they were usurping the authority that God had given for Israel to have a king, especially a king that would come from the line of David. So they were choosing their leaders based on their charisma, based on their promises, both political and religious. They also chose them based on their scheming to secure greater power and wealth. What really matters is that they had not chosen their leaders based on righteousness. They hadn't chosen their leaders based on strong character. They hadn't chosen their leaders based on ability that comes from God. Because God is the one that gives abilities to lead. Those virtues were never considered by anyone in the northern kingdom of Israel since the Lord's evaluation of the leadership was this. All their kings, all their kings were evil in his eyes. Every one of their kings was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Every one. You make the comparison of the southern kingdom with the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom had good kings, but they also had bad kings. Yet they still had good kings. The northern kingdom had not one good king. Not even slightly good. Could have been a little good, right? Maybe 20% good. Not even that. No good. And the consequences were going to be catastrophic because of this. The consequences were going to be catastrophic for the northern kingdom. Now, in its brief history, the northern kingdom, which lasted about anywhere from 200 uh, to 210 years, just depending on some of the length of, 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 of the kings and when they started, uh, even after some of the uh, uh, palace intrigues that we talked about earlier. But in its brief history, the, the northern kingdom, which lasted about 210 years, was plagued with lawlessness. It was plagued with immorality and with violence. And again, we're just rehashing what we've, we've learned before. Nine different dynasties ruled during this short period. Nine different dynasties ruled. And at one point, there were five different kings that ruled within a 13-year period. Five different kings within 13 years. As we've already pointed out, in the latter stages of the northern kingdom, four kings were assassinated within just 20 years. Four kings were assassinated within 20 years. If you want to go back and see it again, it's in 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 8 through 31. So that was the, the fourth reason. They had chosen their kings, but never consulted in, in, in God's will or opinion. The fifth reason for this punishment is still found in verse 4. The people had used their own imaginations to create idols for themselves. Notice the last part of verse 4. It says, of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. Now it's considered that some of them, uh, uh, they're looking at this, uh, at this text uh, very, very literally, that 
what it's saying is that uh, they set up kings and of their silver and gold they made idols of them as well. That's, that's a very possible thing. You know, man does that today. We, we make idols of, uh, you know, we, we, we raise people up on pedestals and then we make idols of them, you know. We make shrines for them. I, I, I thought it was so curious uh, years and years ago when I was first trying to maneuver my way through the internet, you know, because I, I tell you, the very first time I ever connected a computer and went on the internet, I was scared. My heart was beating fast because I didn't know what that was all about, you know. I used to think that a computer was just something like a, a, a glorified typewriter, you know. But now I'm, now I'm in another country. I'm in another land. I'm in another world. You know, it was one of those kind of things, you know. Uh, so when I began to realize that people were making shrines of, of, of people, well, some churches make shrines of people today too, don't they? And have been for thousands of years. Lifting up people, but you know, there's a statue here, there's a image there. So whether high tech or not, that, that does happen. But primarily what this is talking about is that they took their silver and gold and they actually made idols of the idols that were made by Jeroboam that were placed in, in, in Bethel and in, Be in Dan in the northern part of the northern kingdom and Bethel in the southern part of the, uh, the, the northern kingdom for the people to go worship there and not to worship in Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But what it was saying was that the people had used their own wealth, their silver and their gold to build worship centers and images of their so-called gods, whether it be just the calves or whether it be also their, their leaders. But they did this to their own destruction. They did this to their own destruction. It was a direct violation of God's commandment. Now we're all familiar with Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 6. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I, I would say that's pretty clear, isn't it? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Look at verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. You know, you know, carve out an image, you know, and, and, and make any graven image or, or any uh, image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Angels or that is in the earth beneath, demons, <laughs> or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So the, so the commandments are very clear. They weren't to make any graven images. And they weren't supposed to worship other gods. But the Lord was going to single out the worshipers of one idol in particular for punishment. And those would be those who had given their loyalty to the calf idols that Jeroboam the first had set up. Notice in verses 5 and 6 of our text in Hosea 8. Thy calf, O Samaria, thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also. 
the workmen made it, therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. It is not God. What did we say about the, the, the making of the, of the golden calf back in the book of Exodus? When Moses hadn't come down from being with God, and the people started saying, oh, you know, Moses is probably dead now. And they had, they had Aaron, Moses' brother, make them a golden calf. What do they say? This is the God that led us out of Egypt, that brought us out of Egypt. It's the very same thing. It is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. Now remember that Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, and hence it, re it represented the whole nation. Now it's interesting that the northern kingdom was divinely ordained. Now listen carefully to me. The northern kingdom was divinely ordained to be a protest against Solomon's gross idolatry. Remember all the wives and concubines he had? Well, he not only had the, the, the wives and the concubines, he took their idols too and worshipped them. And, and he offered sacrifices to them. I mean, that's Solomon, the son of David. The one who at one time humbled himself before God and said to God, you know, when God came to him, what did he want, Solomon? He said, well... Just, I just want to be wise in you. And he was for a time. But what happened? So the northern kingdom, I, I mean, you know, you go back to, to you know, even David and, and Solomon. and You know, the, the promise was given. Your kingdom is going to be split. So Jeroboam then, who was, by the way, an Ephrathite, which, which kind of connects him to Ephraim, so from the tribe of Ephraim, Jeroboam had a, had a marvelous opportunity to join the ten tribes into a true theocracy. I, I say this so you'll understand. One nation under God, indivisible. One nation under God. Take those ten nations. He had a great opportunity, didn't he? Problem is, his heart wasn't in it. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. And, and, and go to verses 28 through 40. It's a, it's a long passage, but it, I just want to kind of set this whole issue up here. In the person of Jeroboam I, who was given this kingship by God. It says in verse 28, And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And by the way, he was picked, in a sense, by, by Solomon. He, he actually served with Solomon. Because notice it says, And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah, or Ahijah, uh, caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Of course, the one tribe would, would be Judah, and along with Judah would be uh, Benjamin as well. And we will won't go into any more detail there. Because that they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians. Now again, these are the gods that Solomon began to, to worship. Because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, uh, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. David never bowed his knee to an idol. David never bowed his knee to anyone but the God of Israel. Never. David was human. David sinned. We know that. But he never bowed his knee to an idol. But Solomon did. He says, but I will make him prince. Or actually, uh, verse 34. Howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, uh, which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shall be king over Israel. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do, that, uh, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I build for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will... I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose, and he fled into Egypt, into, unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So he had this opportunity. He could have trusted the Lord and stayed. And even though Solomon was after him to kill him, had he trusted in the Lord, the Lord would have protected him because God had just promised that he would make him a king. Now, there's one other thing that you need to understand. He didn't make him a king so that he could move Jerusalem uh, or, or the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem anyplace else. That was a given. That was an understood thing. You are not going to move. This is the way it is always going to be. The city of David, the city of Zion, this is where you worship me. He was just going to be king. But Jeroboam failed. And he failed miserably. Instead of bringing the Israelites back to God, this is what he did. Go to 1 Kings 12, the next chapter. In verse 28, it says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves. Now, there's a lot that happens in, 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 in chapter 12 before this. 
uh, Rehoboam, the, the, the king, the son of, of, of Solomon, uh, he does some foolish things. And he begins to turn away from the Lord. And so because of that, then, you know, Jeroboam, you know, he's, he's putting, he's putting a, a real weight on the people, you know, because uh, Solomon did it. And so he went and talked to the, the, uh, the counselors of, of Solomon, and they told him, no, no, you need, to, you need to lighten up on the people. Instead, he continued on with the same uh, methods as, as Solomon, and therefore Jeroboam said, eh, you know, kind of saw this, and he says what's going to happen is that they're going you know, to keep everything in Jerusalem. See, now he's plotting himself. You know, they're going to keep everything in Jerusalem. They're going to come out. No, you know. We're not going to do this. So this is why we come to verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Just tell the people, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What does that sound like? Well, like what happened back with Aaron and Moses. And he set the one in Bethel, which is in the southern part of the northern kingdom, and he put the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. They were on their way to Jerusalem. They said, well, he told us we could worship here. And they didn't go to Jerusalem. Therefore, they weren't worshiping the Lord in the right place. Or they weren't worshiping the Lord because they were now facing an idol and worshiping the idol and sacrificing to the idol. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people. What else did Jeroboam do? He usurped the authority of the priests. And made his own priesthood. And not only that, but if you read on, he's the one that does the sacrifices. Therefore, he made himself not only the king, but the high priest. So he made a house of the high places, made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So the Lord's anger burned against the idolaters because they were guilty of the most horrible wickedness. They had turned away from the only true and living God to worship idols, man-made objects that were nothing utterly incapable of helping them in their hour of need. The Lord therefore pronounced judgment upon all idolaters and idols. And it would be the eagle, the Assyrians, that would smash them both to pieces. Let's, re let's, let's remember something. Let's always remember that the Lord loves us. Let's always remember that the Lord loves us and he longs to help and to bless us. He does. But when we find ourselves rejecting him for whatever reason, now follow through with me. When we find ourselves rejecting him for whatever reason we are dooming ourselves. Our defiant rebellion and wicked behavior arouse his holy anger against us. Now you might be saying, well, that's pretty strong language. He tell them the church. I mean, isn't there, you know, a little bit of a difference here? I mean, well, just stay with me. Consider, if you will, the language of Paul. Consider the language of the Apostle Paul to the church. Remember that he's speaking to the church when he says to 
the Romans in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 of that chapter. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. There's no respect of persons. That's strong language to the church. You read in Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians is a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book that encourages the believer who is abiding in Christ of all of the great spiritual promises that we have already. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's what we're told in the first chapter. But Paul also says this. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That's how we're to follow the Lord, as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's beautiful, isn't it? But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, among you, church. Let it not be named once among you as becoming saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Folks, I have heard foolish talking by pastors from pulpits because they feel that they have the freedom to say whatever they want to say. Foolish jesting. Like Kenneth Copeland and, and, and Frederick K. Price before a congregation speaking to each other in tongues like if they were understanding each other and telling jokes to each other and laughing at each other and all the people in the crowd are just kind of like, I don't know if they were laughing at, at what was going on or if they were laughing at two idiots. At some point, that's just blasphemy, isn't it? Oh, you should have heard what he just said. It was so funny. No, it was tragically sad that people buy into that. By the way, add covetous to that as well. And how they covet everything that the people bring to them. And how they live the lavish lifestyles that they do. As if they deserved it. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. It's not fitting, but rather give thanks, the giving of thanks. For this you know, and, and again, uh, to the church, he says, this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, 
nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. That is the admonition. That is the exhortation. That is the warning. Be not partakers with them. What does that say? The fact that some of them were probably wanting to do the partaking of those things. Don't be a partaker of that. That's where the church is today. Leaning in directions. You know, people are saying, come this way, come that way, go this way, go that way. The book of Ephesians also tells us that we are not to be, you move like, you know, all the waves being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Chapter 4. This is strong language for the church. To stay awake and to stay vigilant, to stay right. Hebrews 10, look at what it says here in verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after that we have heard, I'm sorry, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. No apostle, no, no pastor, no shepherd, no, none would want anyone to go through that. But this is not given to the world, this is given to the church. All I'm saying is, listen to the warnings. They're there for a reason. Now, what helps us? <laughs> it helps us to read John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And as long as you're abiding in the vine, and fearing the Lord in, 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 a, in, a, in the sense of worship and awe and respect, the enemy can attack, the enemy can throw things at us, but we don't have to buy into it. And we don't have to be deceived by these things. In fact, it makes us stronger when we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross and we die daily and follow after Christ. Amen? So I'm not telling you to worry, you know, like, you know, to, you, know you, you make one wrong step and boom, you know, the trap door opens and you're gone. I'm not saying that, am I? What I'm saying is, is, take heed. Look at what happened to Israel. They go from one extreme to the other, all based on the fact that those who were leading them were the ones making the decisions that were leading people astray, or others were leading their people back to God. But it was all up and down, up and down, up and down. It doesn't have to be that way. Do you know why? because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So keep that in mind. I have to, I re, I'm, I'm putting it in, it in overdrive now because I looked at the time and I said, oh, let's go. So the next section of our text describes Israel 
as being swallowed up by unbelievers, which are the Assyrians. Look at verses 7 through 10 now of our text in Hosea 8. For they have sown the wind. Now, this is a very popular verse. I mean, it's a verse that we should understand. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Now, I want you to notice the wording here, for they have sown the wind. Some people say they have sown into the wind, or they have sown into the wind, or in the wind. Like they're sowing something in the wind, and they're going to reap the whirlwind. No, it's very clear. They have sown the wind. Okay, keep that in mind. They shall reap the whirlwind. It is no stock. The bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. A wild donkey or a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. They shall sorrow a little, which means they will begin in a very short time to suffer and to sorrow for the burden of the king of princes. So this awful judgment of the Lord was coming upon Israel for at least two reasons. First, the people were guilty of sowing the wind. That's the same as sowing nothing. If you sow wind, you're sowing nothing. That's the same as sowing nothing. When people depend upon a harvest to sustain life, but plant nothing but wind, they starve to death. They were essentially bringing destruction upon themselves. They were no longer planting seeds of righteousness and obedience, which would be the only seeds that could preserve their lives. Instead, they planted seeds of wickedness and disobedience, seeds that could never produce a life-sustaining harvest. The people's idolatry, therefore, was a wind that would reap the whirlwind of their utter destruction. Second, the people were being swallowed up by the wicked nations that associated that they associated with. Israel associated with Egypt, they associated with, with the, the Assyrians. You know, they were just trying to find ways of, of getting along, maybe getting, you know, taking advantage of things uh, economically or, or by trade or whatever. But they were going to be swallowed up by the wicked nations that they were associating with. Notice in verse 7, the second part, it says, The strangers shall swallow it up. The strangers shall swallow it up. In the eyes of the Lord, Israel had become just like the pagan nations that surrounded it. Now it was worthless and ripe for destruction. That's verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. We know that the leaders of Israel sought an alliance with Assyria. The Lord called Israel a wild ass alone by himself. Folks, the wild ass or the wild donkey of the east, of the near and middle east, is a headstrong, unruly, obstinate, which means he is a stubborn, unyielding, stiff-necked animal that can actually outrun a horse. Bet you didn't know that. But it is drawn, this, this kind of donkey is drawn in all different directions by its lust, by its hunger, and by its thirst. It usually roams in bands, but sometimes one breaks away from the pack and becomes prey to lions. 
And that is what happened to Israel in this case. They became a prey to Assyria. So where did Israel stand? Let's look at the last four verses. Verse 11. Where did Israel stand? Because Ephraim, or Ephraim, hath made many altars to sin. Altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Isn't that sad? I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Literally what that means is they saw it as something that was for someone else but not for them. Think about that. How many people today think that the word of God is for somebody else but not for them? Hey, if you need it, that's fine, but I, I don't need it. There's too much of that in the church today, by the way. There's even some churches that think that way too. We don't need the Word of God. because, Besides, nobody can really understand it anyway, so let's just have conversations and sit around, drink coffee and beer and whatever else. Because, you know, there are some churches now that meet in bars, and they just sit down and have some beers while they're talking about, uh, you know, religion and what others do. And, and maybe, you know, maybe we should look at some of the the, the nice benefits of Buddhism and Hinduism and all these other things. That's the reason why some churches today have Christian yoga. Did you know that yoga is demonic? Yoga is demonic. The Kundalini spirit, that's a, the spirit of a, of a snake. We don't bring that into church. What kind of idiots are we? Wow. Verse 13, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifice of mine offerings. And eat it. In other words, they don't follow what the Lord had said about how things were to be prepared, what things were to be prepared, what, uh, what things were to be given to the priests, and what, to be, what was to be burned up completely unto God. No. Yeah. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of my offerings, and they eat it. But the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. 430 years Israel was in Egypt. For most of those 430 years, Egypt was, I'm sorry, Israel was in bondage. to slavery. They were, they were slaves. They were slaves. They shall return to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. I don't want any of you or any of us or anybody that's in the church returning to the world. Because most of us, if not all of us, have been there. And I'd rather be a citizen of heaven than of this earth. I'd rather we take that seriously, that what we have become is now a citizen of heaven. 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. God saved us and changed us and made us new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 14, for Israel hath forgotten his maker. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hate to say that sometimes the church has forgotten their maker. Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. And by the way, interesting that Judah is mentioned because remember when Israel and Judah are mentioned, they're both going to have to face judgment for what they've done. Israel sooner than is, uh, Judah, but they will both face judgment. But I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. <clears throat> Israel would once again be put into bondage as they had been enslaved to the world in Egypt. They were enslaved to sin and death. They had built many altars for sin offerings, but they had not used them for worshiping the Lord. Instead, they used them to honor false gods. It was an occasion for sinning. They engaged in fertility rites, which included having sexual contact and sexual uh, intercourse with priestesses to ensure a good harvest and the others, other blessings of prosperity. This is what they did. And so they became guilty of both spiritual and sexual immorality at these, at these rituals. The people also ignored God's law, his holy word, that's verse 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. <clears throat> they treated God's word as if, as if it were a book written for foreigners. They thought God's word didn't apply to them, and so they could do what they they could do what they wanted when they wanted. Verse thirteen then tells us that the people were guilty of hypocrisy. In other words, they went through all the motions. They went through all the motions of religious rituals and worship, presenting their offerings and participating in in the fellowship meals. But since they were worshiping false gods, they were engaging in meaningless religious activities that did not, did not please the Lord. And so the result of the people's wicked behavior and false worship was tragic to say the least. The Lord was forced to remember wickedness and to pronounce judgment upon them. He was forced to remember their wickedness. In this world, man is enslaved to sin and death. No one can keep from sinning in this world. And no one can keep from dying in this world. As soon as we're born, our fleshly nature begins to act selfish, selfishly. And down through the years, we find ourselves lusting after the forbidden 
the harmful things of the world. Our bodies give in to the curse that began in the garden after the creation of all things. Our bodies give in to the sickness of this world, the diseases of this world. They give in to the injuries that can plague our bodies at any given time and the mishaps of life. Sometimes we call them accidents. But it's just the consequences of sin all around us. But only one person, only one person can break our bondage to sin and death. Only one person. That person is Jesus. That person is Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. If you've believed on Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. You have believed with your heart, confessed with your mouth, and proclaim that a change has taken place in your life. And you proclaim it as your testimony and witness. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth. Now notice doeth truth. It's one thing to speak it. It's another thing to do it. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. But let me close with Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Speaking of Jesus, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. So think, if you will, how special the work of Jesus Christ is 
Let me just read on. It won't be up here, but let me just read on. I was, I was just looking for that passage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. When we talk about the fact that it is easy to be tempted in this world, always realize that Jesus is there to help us through that temptation. We don't have to fall into those temptations. And he would want us just to come right back and abide in him. That is there every day, every hour, that we fall on our face and confess our sins. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want to clear, clearly make a, a statement about what I said earlier. The Word of God. The Word of God is hard sometimes, strong. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. If you love Jesus, then serve him, love him, and continue to grow in him.